1: but it kind of made me who I am today. Wyoming has it all. Breathtaking hikes, kid-friendly museums, two of the coolest national parks in the country. The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com.
2: At the end of his tail feathers, he's like silver. It's kind of silver.
3: Very regal, just sitting there.
4: Yes. I love watching birds.
3: Hey folks, this is Outside In, a show about the natural world and how we use it. I'm producer Taylor Quimby. Right now, there are a lot of folks who are feeling a little cooped up. I know my son Phineas and I have been. So we've been trying to find little ways of exploring the magic of nature from the safety of our home and our neighborhood. This is is the first in a series of short episodes for families and individuals who want to discover how, even when we're all stuck inside, the natural world ties us together. And we're starting with bird watching. He's come down, he's by the grass. It looks like the same kind to me.
1: Mm-hmm, yeah. Oh oh um, in right yellow beak, I saw his yellow beak up on the tree. Yeah.
3: there is a kind of birdwatching, or birding, where people travel all over the world to see as many types of birds as possible. But there's another type of birdwatching that anybody can do, from the comfort of a backyard or even a kitchen window, without any special tools or bird expertise at all. That's the type of birding we're going to talk about today. And we've roped in a few bird lovers to give us some tips on how to do it. First up is Bridget.
5: So, hi, my name's Bridget Butler. I live in northern Vermont, right near the Quebec border, and I'm known as the bird diva.
3: Bridget started young. She still remembers waking up in a tent next to an apple tree on a bird-watching trip and having her first real bird experience. You know, like the one.
5: It was spring, and there's the apple tree in blossom, and at the top of the tree is an indigo bunting.
3: Indigo buntings are cheery, little bright blue birds with a wonderful sing-song voice that migrate at night using the stars to guide them.
5: And this guy is just singing his heart out. And that was my hook bird. That was the one that got me. And I was like, this is really cool.
3: Bridget teaches classes on how to do what she calls slow birding, which when she describes it, sounds a little bit like yoga or meditation practice.
5: I encourage people to start right out your back door. My sit spot is literally on my back step.
3: If you've got a backyard or a quiet outdoor spot you can safely get to, let's go there together. Here's how she likes to start birdwatching.
5: Slow your steps down, take notice of how your body is feeling, drop your shoulders.
3: You see, birdwatching isn't just about looking for birds. It's about opening up your senses, about bringing your mind into the present.
5: Get comfortable. Take a couple of deep, cleansing breaths.
3: If you don't have a backyard, or you live in a building with a lot of other people, it's okay just to open a window and start there. Even high up, you'd be surprised what birds are out there. Did you know that the fastest bird in the world, the peregrine falcon, likes to roost and hunt in New York City? Right around the skyscrapers. Anyway, I've been trying Bridget's method in the mornings. I'd like to brew up some coffee... (laughs) open up my kitchen window and stick my head right out into the sunshine. Sometimes your mind might wander, a noisy car drives by, or a person who wonders why you're sticking your head out the window. Morning. Don't worry about it.
5: Acknowledge them and, like, let them go. And then open up your senses, take a deep breath, smell.
3: Some days you'll notice you can hear a lot of birds but you don't see any. Don't worry, that's normal. One of the most important birding tools you have are your ears. Bridget has a little exercise to help get them working.
5: The other part that I like to think about is how far away can I listen? Can I listen close? Can I listen to my neighbor's house? Can I listen beyond my neighbor's house? Can I listen above me um, and in front of me?
3: Really good birders can identify a lot of birds just by their songs and calls and can even tell whether the bird is looking for a mate or warning other birds about nearby predators. That's not the case for beginners like me and my son. So Bridget gave us some things to listen for, a few bird call genres, so to speak.
5: One of them is like the clear sound, like uh, chickadee. So black capped chickadees, we have them in, in Vermont here, you have them where you guys are there in New Hampshire. So, their mating song is, hey, sweetie, hey, sweetie. You can actually whistle that.
3: Another category of bird call you might hear is what's called a trill.
5: And you do that with your tongue. Kind of choppy da 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 quality to it.
3: And yet another category is a buzzy sort of insect sound.
5: So, if you're like, Some birds have all of those within their song, which is really cool. So the song may start out one way with a nice clear note and then go into something that's more buzzy toward the end.
3: Listen to this guy, the brown thrasher. He has more than 1,000 song types and can even do covers of other bird songs. birds
4: that way yeah kind of like a squeak and a chirp
3: mixed together let me hear what does it sound like to you Mm. (coughs) that's pretty good really good sound thanks it's funny they call it bird watching yeah because i think A lot of it is about bird listening.
4: Yeah, I think they should call it bird listening.
3: If you're lucky and patient, the birds that you hear might wander into view. To get a sense of what to look for should you actually see one, we talked to Drew Lanham, an ornithologist and professor at Clemson University in South Carolina. He didn't have a hookbird like Bridget. When he was a kid, Drew wanted
6: to be a bird. I would go out and attempt to fly. I would construct wings of cardboard, parachutes of plastic bags, tried to float down from ladders, haystacks and roofs with um, umbrellas. Um, sometimes there was evidence. I, I did break a collarbone. <laughs>
3: Point is, Drew admired birds.
6: A second grade teacher, a woman by the name of Ms. Beasley, she gave us pictures of birds to color. (laughs) That started it.
3: When observing a bird on a branch or on the ground or in the sky, it's best to think of yourself as an investigator.
6: If this, then that. Um, If this, then that, not that.
3: Don't jump to a conclusion about what kind of bird you're seeing. To start with, just gather clues. Is
6: the bird larger or smaller than a crow?
3: And of course, pay close attention to color. And not
6: just thinking Roy G. Biv. Red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. But beginning to think about shades, to have fun with describing colors.
3: Apricot, scarlet, almond, aquamarine. You're not just looking at color to identify the species. Just like an investigator, some small clues may tell you a lot more than you think. Most male birds, for instance, have brighter colors than females. The adult male summer tanager, Drew tells me, is watermelon red. The female is a mustardy yellow. Young males are a splotchy patchwork of the two.
6: Those splotchy colors tell you that that's um, um, a male that was hatched just last year.
3: Drew says to keep asking yourself questions about what you're seeing. Jot down the notes, maybe even draw a picture in your notebook if you can.
6: Look at the bill. Is the bill long or is the bill short? Is it conical shaped or is it sharp? Of course, birds can be small
3: and you might be looking from a distance.
6: Binoculars um, can help you. Don't have a pair? (laughs) I'll tell you, um, you can take toilet paper tubes, which I think there are probably plenty of these days, put those tubes together and those tubes together become binoculars. They're super
4: easy to make, so.
3: Okay, so maybe a pair of toilet paper tube binoculars won't help you zoom in. But we tried them, and what they did do was help us focus our attention. I can't believe it, but these cardboard tube binoculars actually really do help. Mm -hmm. Plus they were fun.
4: Hey, Hey, look. There's another one.
3: What size is he? Is he bigger or smaller than a crow?
4: Uh, he's smaller than a crow. Darkish head. Red belly.
3: What's his beak, uh, shape? Uh,
4: like a snout point, a pointy snout.
3: I really like watching birds, but I've never spent much time trying to identify them. Luckily, if you do the investigative legwork, there are some really helpful tools out there for beginners like me and Finn. One of them is an app that Bridget suggested called Merlin, made by the folks at the Cornell Lab of Ornithology.
5: It's like magic. You hit go, and it spits out a list of possible birds based on your location. Cool. House Finch.
3: House Finch. no. No. Purple Finch? No. no. Tufted Titmouse?
6: Nope.
3: Nope. Yep. A- American Robin? Mhm. That really looks like yeah. what we saw.
4: Yeah. Yeah.
0: What
3: is it? Say?
4: Fairly large songbird with ground body, long legs. And...
3: The folks at Cornell aren't just trying to help people identify birds. They're also looking for volunteers like you to help them collect data.
5: All day long, I've been watching this Eastern Phoebe has been bringing nest materials to my back porch.
3: This is Robin Bailey. Her first bird ID was also, can you believe it, a robin? And she is the project manager for Nest Watch, one of Cornell's citizen science projects that anyone can contribute to. If there's a bird nest that you can see from your window or in your backyard, she wants to hear about it.
5: These are data are the foundation of what we know about how birds nest, how many eggs they lay, uh, how successful they are and why. We would be getting all kinds of data from just that bird that's nesting on your, your front porch and your flower pot.
3: Robin says citizen bird watchers help their team monitor somewhere between 27 and 28,000 nests every year. And with all the changes we've been experiencing lately, this could be a really valuable time to study bird nesting behavior.
5: I'm curious if this spring, with things being really quiet outside, if birds will do anything differently.
3: We'll talk more about how you can become a citizen scientist after the break. But whether you're collecting data or just watching out the window for fun, there really is something amazing about birds, isn't there?
6: Some warbler that ends up in your yard is your link to a tropical rainforest. That's <laughs> that that's pretty amazing to me that, that the birds that someone saw in Central America just a few days ago are suddenly in my backyard. That again is stitching the world together with feathers.
3: And even though you might not be able to visit your friends or your family in person, you can do what Drew does. Think of the birds outside
6: your window as messengers,
3: little gifts that we can send to one another.
6: I just I just wrote um, a friend of mine, and I said, Frank, I'm sending you black-throated green warblers. Um, They're here now. I know that there are some of them headed your way.
3: Who knows? Maybe if you're paying close enough attention, I'll send a bird your way too.
4: Chee weep. Chee weep.
3: I'm gonna write that down. Chee weep.
0: weep. Hey, sweetie. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Hey folks, welcome back to Outside In. I'm producer Taylor Quimby. Today, we've been giving you a little starter course in one of the ways that absolutely anybody can remain connected to the outdoors in these trying times, learning your backyard birds. Now, like we mentioned at the top, capital B birding for some people is an activity that can be a bit like a sport. There are lists, there are competitions. Sam finds this off-putting, and I think he's here to tell us more.
4: (laughs) I mean, don't get me wrong, I love birds. I do think our love of birds has led to, like, a dramatic misallocation of research funding towards them and away from other species like invertebrates, but that's a story for another day. But, but I love birds as much as the next guy. And if what we're doing in this episode is encouraging people who are stuck at home to try out backyard birding, I want to use this opportunity to instill a new value in these new birders. Sure. I want you to fall in love with common birds.
2: Uh, I'm Karen Purcell.
4: And help you do that. We're going to talk to Karen. I
2: am project leader for Celebrate Urban Birds at the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, which is a citizen science project that's available really all over the continent. Um, It's available in both Spanish and English. And it's for beginner birders or folks that are just interested in learning about birds in their neighborhood, whether it be a city or the suburbs or the country.
4: Now, I'm not a birder, or at least I'm a really bad birder. But I do know my birds. I know the eastern Phoebe building a nest under the porch. I know the American robin building a nest on the garage. I know the various types of woodpeckers constantly hammering the trees all around my house. And so does my son. Another one. Another woodpecker. Which is why I really like Celebrate Urban Birds. It's a citizen science project, which if you're just... Trying to start something new, like starting to pay attention to birds because you want that distraction, it'll give you some structure
2: it It is citizen science, and so there are, are very clear protocols or instructions on how to watch and the reason we provide those is because if we want to be able to compare the data that or the observations that I'm collecting here in Ithaca with someone in New York City or in Los Angeles. We, we need to, everybody to be watching or observing in the same way.
4: You pick an area about the size of half a basketball court and sit out for 10 minutes, three times a month. And you write down any birds that you see in your little personal study area. The birds you're looking for are mostly really common ones. Robins, crows, <gasps> morning doves, <laughs> pigeons. But here's the catch. Yes, this is, quote, For science, unquote. But just forget about that for a second. The science is just an excuse. That's just a commitment device to get you out the door. Now, you're out here. You're sitting in your spot where you can see your half a basketball court and (gasps) a bird. Something has actually flitted into the spot that you're studying. Now, do not pick up your pencil.
2: Well, one of the most common mistakes that we see people make are uh, that they see a bird and they're super excited about seeing the bird. And so they immediately then shift their eyes from the bird to uh, their app or their guide. And what we recommend is not to do that. If, If you see a bird, keep watching that bird. Watch everything about it. And then, when the bird flies away, then actually go and try to figure out what it is.
4: Karen probably wouldn't put it this way. But I'll say it. Citizen science. Yeah, it gathers data in a rigorous way that researchers can use. But a lot of times that's kind of just the side benefit a lot of times they've designed these projects with the goal of breaking us out of our routine of showing us something that's wonderful and powerful and right in front of our eyes if we can just stop looking at our darn phones for a second and that's one of the reasons birds especially common birds urban birds are so perfect they're a miracle and they're right in front of us take pigeons
2: I I am uh, stuck on pigeons. I just think pigeons are fascinating. Uh, the fact that they uh, feed their young uh, pigeon milk uh, in the first week of life, uh, and that males and the females take. Uh, such equal turns in raising the young and making making the nest. And, and uh, it's just, to me, it, the, the behaviors of pigeons are, are, are just really interesting. I think a lot of folks say, well, I've never seen a, a pigeon nest um, or, you know, a, a young pigeon. But you do see p- young pigeons all the time. They look like adults, but they've got their cere, or the little uh, skin that's above their nose, um, is a different color. And so, uh, it, again, watching little details like that is super fascinating. <coughs> Killdeer is another bird that I just, I, I absolutely love uh in particular because of the uh, behaviors that they will engage in when they see a person uh, or a predator coming towards their nest they will they they deserve some kind of 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 broadway uh, award they throw themselves on the ground and right on the underwing they've got some uh, a little bit of red so it looks like they're hurt um they 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 will flop around on the ground. And so if you're a fox and and you're headed for their nest and about to eat their eggs, but suddenly you see a hurt bird, a hurt adult, and that becomes a tasty uh, treat. And so you start following the adult as it flops around. And you don't notice that it's flopping around and guiding you away from the nest. Um, And so you keep following it, and then suddenly it flies off. And at that point, you don't remember where the nest is.
4: I don't want to be too harsh on the capital B birders. I love obsessives and passionate people. I've just decided that lists and driving all over creation just to twitch a rare bird isn't for me. But this, knowing the whole story of the birds I see out my window every day, being able to take one brief look and know that yep, there's the Phoebe, sitting on the fence post, sallying out to catch a fly whenever one drifts within range, she's having her morning hunt, or seeing a downy woodpecker working on a white pine and knowing, yeah, that tree probably isn't doing so well, looks like it's full of rot and bugs, and maybe it'll come down in a few years. These are the stories that birds bring us. And frankly, these are the kinds of stories I need to fill my head with right now. Look, look, look! Is <clears throat> I really hope you're doing okay and getting a chance to witness the spring blossoming and find a little magic in the safety of your homes. If you decide to try a little bird watching, we'd love if you shared some of your notes and observations with us. No matter what birds you see or don't see, email us at outsidein at nhpr.org or send us a tweet. Get it? A tweet? Outside In was produced today by Taylor and Phineas Quimby and me, Sam Evans-Brown, with help from Justine Paradise. Eric Janik is our executive producer. Maureen McMurray is the director of Porch Nest Development. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Additional music by Blue Dot Sessions. Outside In is a production of New Hampshire Public Radio.